What's up, everyone? We're back with episode four of the Sports Inventory with your hosts, Ben Kuchipudi and... Your favorite founding father, Tyler Graham. All right, so a lot happened in the world of basketball in the last week, and we're here to uncover all of it. A lot happened in free agency, some crazy trades have happened, and a certain player in particular requested a trade. And I think this, in recent memory, this is probably the best player to declare a trade. What do you think, Mr. Kevin Durant? Bro, what an absolute disaster by Brooklyn. I just, um, I mean, good for him. Apparently, due to a couple of sources, he's been wanting out for a minute ever since the uncertainty of Kyrie and the departure of James Harden. But this, wherever he goes, he's automatically going to make the team a contender, obviously. Yeah. And um, he can change the outlook of either the East or Western Conference. Um, if he goes to the West, a lot of things change. He stays in the East. He can stack a team that already has stars on it. This, it, it, it's insane. Um, I heard his preferences, which we can get to shortly, but those teams that he mentioned that he w- would like to go to, that could really, really start scaring some people. Yeah, I mean, his two preferences were the two one seeds in each conference, the Phoenix Suns and the Miami Heat. And... Both, we already know, the Nets are asking for a historic return for Durant. And rightly so. He's one of the greatest players ever. He's still, he's the best scorer in the NBA, in my opinion, still right now. And he's going to be the best player whatever team he goes to, most likely. For sure. For sure. But the thing about Kevin Durant that I think brings into question now is leadership, right? Yeah, that's always been a question with him ever since he's left the Thunder. And even on the Thunder. The thing about leadership is um, we've seen a lot of leaders on a lot of teams and a lot of sports. Him in Brooklyn really showed his colors of indifference. Mm-hmm. I think the thing about Kevin Durant is he's a very indifferent player. Meaning, when it comes to the locker room, when it comes to on and off the court, he doesn't make the impact that you want him to make as a leader. He's he a very nonchalant. He's very nonchalant. He's not the most vocal person. I mean, on yeah, social he's media, not, he's vocal, but that doesn't count. Yeah, but the team. Th- that's bickering and bantering with fans, which I think is very childish. Of very. Kevin, right? You're at such a high stature that you shouldn't be doing that. But then again, if you see him in, in the huddles for Brooklyn with Kyrie, without Kyrie, he doesn't get in anybody's behind. He doesn't clap up his team when they're behind. He doesn't cheer on his team when they're doing good. He's a very indifferent guy. And I, I'm not going to question his talent whatsoever. When you're a seven-footer who can shoot from 30 feet, like you're a phenomenal player. He's going to go down one of the most talented scorers ever. you know. But a guy like that should have a little bit of fire in him to push his team. That's why the Thunder teams fell to the Warriors 3-1. He didn't lead them that way, you know. That That's game six was a phenomenal choke, and he was yeah, that was yeah. in newspapers. That was all over sports. It seems that he's content with going home after a loss and just sipping a you know glass of wine. Shout out to Carl Anthony Towns for that comment, which I think is wild. But he's not the guy to lead a team. I'll give him the last shot. I'll give him his buckets. But that's why Brooklyn fell. Gave him one of sports' biggest divas and a guy who is a ball hog and a subpar defender in James Harden and a G League squad. You expected that team to win it all, nonetheless make it to a conference? 
nonetheless won a playoff series for once in three years when you had championship aspirations. I, I called this from the onset. I wish this podcast was, you know, uh, developed sooner. But I did say long ago that Brooklyn was never going to work because you can't buy and build a house of cards like that and expect it not to topple. You got to start from the bottom. And you got to build up through the draft and develop your young players naturally like the Warriors and the Celtics did. And that's why those two teams made it to the finals. You can see that kind of transition in in college. The teams that win national championships are the teams that are filled with seniors, juniors, and even some graduate students. It's the guys that have been there for the longest, have gotten comfortable under a coach's systems long term. Brooklyn did not have that. You threw Steve Nash in there just because you're a great player doesn't mean you're a good coach. I know he's highly, you know, intelligent person, but he is not the guy to control Kyrie and Kevin Durant and James Harden for those three days and four hours that he was on that team. Yeah, he Steve Nash. I I never liked that that hire for them. I I don't know why they got rid of Atkinson. It was probably I would assume some kind of power struggle, and it was just something that. KD and Kyrie didn't want, and they got Nash, and Nash has been, uh, I think he's been like a glorified cheerleader ever since he's brought on to uh, Brooklyn. I don't really see any coaching, he just lets KD, Kyrie, and for however long James Harden was there, he just let them do their thing. I 100% agree. Um, I, I love watching the mic up moments where, you know, you see coaches get nitty gritty with their guys, bringing out the whiteboard and making X's and O's. I don't see anything Steve Nash doing and is being productive. Obviously, I'm not behind the bench. I'm not on the bench. I can't speak for that. But I just don't see him being a great head coach, especially for a team. So much power and checks and balances. You have a perennial talent in Kevin Durant. You have one of the most talented point guards ever in Kyrie Irving. And the rest are just a bunch of guys just trying to prove themselves. That is a hard situation for a head coach, and very few guys can do that. Steve Nash is the last guy I want to try to handle that situation. I I agree with that. I mean, I'm yeah, I'm not giving the full blame to Nash in this. It's three mercurial talents and three egos you have to juggle, and the rest of the guys aren't really not really much. It's a bunch of second round G League guys and a bunch of washed up vets on that team. And Steve Nash, I mean, he could have he could have handled it better, but he it's not entirely his fault with the, with all of this. He, he, he tried to play the cards that he was dealt, but those are some that's a seven two deuce baby in a poker game. And I don't know if you know about poker, Ben, but that's one of the worst hand you could possibly get. I gotcha. The thing about it is, it's tough. I blame. I blame general management. I blame the acquisitions around them. I blame the money that they proceeded to pay them. Now they have to offload that. I blame everything in Brooklyn. It's just a terrible decision. They should have went to New York as in the Knicks. And now they got to live with their consequences. KD's out. And they might ship Kyrie too. But we'll get to that shortly. Yeah, speaking of uh, Kyrie Irving, uh, talks to the, as of today, we're recording on Saturday, July 2nd. Happy July 4th, everyone. Happy July 4th weekend, everyone, by the way. But... Uh, yeah, apparently the Lakers and the Nets are discussing a trade that'll send Russell Westbrook, Talon Horton Tucker, and two future firsts for Kyrie Irving. But the Lakers are also asking for Seth Curry in this trade, which is very outrageous by the Lakers. I don't know why they think they have any leverage in this, but it's kind of baffling. 
I agree. But then again, um, at least the Lakers are somewhat um, making an addition that makes sense for LeBron. Because the biggest thing with LeBron James in the past six years is you've got to surround him with shooters. Every team that he's been a part of that's been successful has always had a perennial shooter. On yep. Him. Ray Allen, Kyle Korver, even the Channing Fries and J.R. Smiths. Even on the Heat, you had uh, Mike Miller. You got Shane like Battier. You got those guys. Shane Battier. LeBron performs extremely well with shooters because he's a awesome passer. A lot of driving kicks. A lot of driving kicks out of post plays and off ball screens. LeBron's one of the most intelligent players in this game, and he's going to find those open guys. I love seeing moments on the court where he's like, find Kyle, as in Kyle Corver, or find these guys. That's why the Lakers also struggled when that roster was healthy because they couldn't shoot. Couldn't shoot. Yeah. LeBron thrives in attracting those double teams and kicking out. But when you're kicking out to a Russell Westbrook who shoots 13% of the three point line, point is not going to be scored in that possession. So at least the Lakers are trying to pursue some shooting, but like you said, Ben, perfectly, there is no leverage for this acquisition. I think they should try to find a shooter elsewhere. Um, there's a couple of free agents left that could possibly be good shooters, or even the development of some other ones. But yeah, it's going to be a tough sell to get Seth. But if they do somehow pull off the yeah, trade, great Seth move Lace, for course, Rob Palenka and the squad. Yeah, of course, of course. Then again. Um, we know how LeBron and Kyrie performed together. They're a terrifying duo, but at this stage in Kyrie's career, he's the biggest one of in basketball. Yeah, he's a huge question mark. His commitment to basketball is a question mark. Injury is always a question mark with him. It's just, I don't know. And I know there was dialogue shared between Kyrie and LeBron. Kyrie, of course, apologizing for his departure from Cleveland and praising LeBron for what he has to do to lead his teams because Kyrie attempted it in Boston. He crashed and burned, and obviously he became somewhat of a journeyman over these past couple of years, jumping from team over to team and ruining their cultures. But I can see him coming back and just being a new man under LeBron because I think for Kyrie Irving – how much of a voice he has he does need someone to kind of oversee him a little bit and katie wasn't that guy he might be friends with katie but katie's not a leader no he not can't at control all. Not you katie won't get in your ear to get you angry katie you won't light a fire under you but lebron will I, I saw plenty of moments throughout the lakers season where lebron got in his players behind yelled at them screamed at them coached them up broke clipboards for god's sake He's that guy who expects winning, will continue to win, and wants the guys around him to win too. And Kyrie has that similar interest. I see if they are reunited, the dynamic to be back. Yeah, I, I mean, it is. you said it perfectly. There's a huge difference in leadership with KD and LeBron. It's night and day. KD, quieter guy, never really vocal. LeBron, as you mentioned, he's, he's, a, he's a pure player coach. And he, he makes guys better around him. And and Kyrie and LeBron in their years in Cleveland, probably the most unstoppable duo in the league, in my opinion. They were just, it was so fun to watch and so hard for teams to guard them. And though they're older now, if Kyrie gets his, if Kyrie finds his way to LA and he gets a team with LeBron and maybe a healthy AD, we'll see if um he has another injury, but... That Lakers team is going to be scary, no matter um, no matter um, if Kyrie is on that Lakers team, they're going to be a championship contender always because LeBron and Kyrie have that chemistry, and I think I think AD is going to be better as a whole also if he stays healthy. 
honestly, the thing about this past season, um, I'm sure the Lakers franchise knew they weren't really going to get a good seeding nor even make the playoffs early on. So honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if AD took off purposely to really, really heal his body to prep for this upcoming season. We don't know what goes on in the front offices of the NBA, of course. We're simply just very, very you know, deeply devoted fans. But we know one thing, though. This free agency was going to come up, and a lot of names were going to be in circulation. In Rob, in Rob Palenka's seat, I'm sure he was trying to improve the team. Even if he didn't know this team was going to, you know, fail this badly this season. So I can have saw AD just, you know, being load management, you know, pulling a Kawhi in Toronto, you know, just sitting out his games, really just resting up the body because there's not much time left for all those guys. Because LeBron obviously is going to keep doing LeBron things, but he's going to be on the way out. And, you know, Dwight Howard isn't what he used to be. And Malik Monk is doing his thing and all these things. So could have saw you know the front office and the, the medical department being like ad could play today but just sit out dog relax we're gonna cruise into this offseason get some acquisitions and we'll be ready for 2023 yeah the lakers i mean i really think this is a make or break year for the lakers rob link is gonna do the best he can to improve his team as much as possible they're gonna start by trying to get Kyrie, and also i think they they gotta improve their bench malik monk a Arguably their best bench player this past season just left for Sacramento, so they got to replace his his scoring and his shooting. And we have to see what happens this year because Bronny James says he might enter the 2023 draft. And LeBron right now isn't fully committed to staying in L.A. until he retires. So if Bronny gets drafted to another team, LeBron is probably going to leave in 2023 to play with his son. So... We're going to have to see what happens there. We'll see, but um, I don't know if LeBron's head is at winning right now. Um, I think he has a lot on his plate regarding possibly buying a Las Vegas team, future retirement, being, you know, Forbes billionaire now, um, getting into Hollywood a little bit. I heard he's producing a lot of films, like the recent film Hustle with Adam Sandler. Oh, and yeah. And Gomez. Great movie, by the way. Great movie. A phenomenal movie. I highly recommend, but... I think he's looking forward what he should be looking to now you know, solidifying himself a little bit. But then again, what does he have to prove? He's, he's LeBron Ramon James. The world knows him. You either hate him or love him. You watch. That's all you could do. So I don't know. But it's going to be interesting for the Lakers and all their loyal fans. Yeah. And it all starts with um, if they can make this blockbuster trade for Kyrie because – Kyrie is gonna make Kyrie is gonna bring that team back to championship status. And speaking of trades, a few big trades happen in the world of basketball in the last um week. And we're gonna start with the smaller one. Dejon All-Star DeJounte Murray just got moved from the San Antonio Spurs to the Atlanta Hawks for Danilo Gallinari, who was recently waived, and they got three unprotected firsts and a pick swap out of it. And personally for me, I think this was uh I thought this was a home run for Atlanta at first, giving up um, Danilo Gallinari when they could have easily given up John Collins. And they got um, DeJounte Murray, who's the perfect complement for training on the backcourt. He's a phenomenal defender, good size, can dish, can shoot a little bit. But looking back on it, the Spurs got, they got two unprotected firsts and um, a few other firsts, which I think is going to help them, not now, obviously, but in the future. And the Spurs are building towards the future. I, I think it was somewhat of a home run for the Atlanta Hawks. Um, 
everybody was scrambling to say, wow, the Spurs, what kind of decision was this? It was necessary. It was necessary. The Spurs are far from a win-now state. They're clearly in a rebuild, and obviously Murray doesn't want to rebuild. He said it himself publicly, listen, I love this culture. San Antonio will always be my family, but I don't want to sit here for a rebuild, and they shipped him to Atlanta. I think it's a great addition for the fact that Trey Young can't play defense, and Javante Murray's a phenomenal perimeter defender. It's great. You know, these switches are going to work out. He can dish the ball well, too. Um, I do think Gallinari was a bit of a loss, though. I think that shooting really stretched the floor and it struggled against, you know, wing defenders. He can really light it up, and Boston got a good one in that one. Yeah, shout um, out to them. Yeah, shout out to Boston. We can get to them shortly, making their moves like Malcolm Brockton. But back to the Hawks, I think this is a great move for them, and the fact that he even kept John Collins, because in every mock draft before this offseason, John was getting shipped out for a big star. And I think John's great for Atlanta culture. He's a great compliment to Trey Young. He's, his game is ever so evolving. I noticed he has his post-mid-range like LaMarcus Aldridge now, and it's beautiful how he's evolving, and that Atlanta Hawks team is going to be something to mess with in a couple of years. Yeah, that Hawks team... It's looking a little scary, not going to lie. I mean, Kevin Herter also recently got traded. I think they got uh, Mo Harkless and another player in a first-round pick out of it, so they recoup some value there. But that starting five is pretty scary. Obviously, you got your star trainer. You got two phenomenal wing defenders and DeJounte Murray and DeAndre Hunter. And then you still got your two bigs and John Collins and Clint Capella, and we'll see if Capella's a bounce-back year. But that starting five for Atlanta is very good. And you still got... Um, Bogdan Bogdanovich up the bench for some yeah, shooting. You lost a little bit of shooting in the starting lineup, but you suffice that with more defense, which I say at the end of the day, defense does win games and, you know, the old adage of championships. But I think they're a little way off of that. But I think they just have to find their footing and develop a little bit. Yeah. I, once again, great move for the Hawks. They, they're just trying to get better in this um, getting tougher. They're just trying to get better in this um, Eastern Conference. And I think... Um, I think this year they can make that run similar to what they did in uh, 2021 getting to the conference finals. Yeah, of course, that run. You know that as a Knicks fan, of oh, course. Oh, I know that all too well. Getting back, going to um, another Eastern Conference team, going to Beantown, the Boston Celtics. Very sneaky good move. Not even sneaky move, just a good move overall by the front office. Getting Malcolm Brogdon for Daniel Tice, Aaron Niesmith, three um, third, fourth string players and a first round pick, and they get um Malcolm Brogdon, who's a very good player when he's healthy. Extremely good player. Um, I think Adoka's gonna fall in love with this guy. He's a pass first guy, and that's exactly what Adoka was looking for when he got the head coaching gig. Because obviously, when you spend a lot of time under Greg Pop, you like to see the ball moving, right? So that's a thing. Malcolm Brogdon's gonna find his spots, do his thing. And I think this is a phenomenal signing, but I think there's one small discrepancy that might happen. In the NBA playoffs, Marcus Smart secured the starting point guard gig. Yep. He seemed very comfortable in it, and he seemed very happy. With Malcolm in town, he might lose that gig, and he might take a bench spot yet again. Now, granted, could you move Tatum to the four, out to the three, and then Smart to the two? Sure, but that's a pretty decently small ball line. Very undersized. It's and Adoka's not really the hugest fan of that. And Robert Williams being, you know, always one bad dunk away from an injury yet again, um, that's going to be tough. And I feel like Smart and Brogner are going to kind of butt heads somewhat because Smart, in his mind, is trying to become a better passer. And Brogdon's already 
a good passer. So I think there might be a little power struggle at that one and two position a little bit, but I'm sure they'll figure it out. But if this does work, Boston's going to be right back where they were last year. Yeah, they what they lacked last po- in the postseason was a true distributor, and Malcolm Brogdon totally was that. And I agree with what you're saying on Marcus Smart. You, Marcus came out and said, um, kind of called out um, fans a little bit. He said, um, oh, the Celtics needed a true point guard to win. And he's like, oh, I'm the... I started a point guard, and I was the one who took him to the finals in the last few years, which is true, but we're going to have to see how uh, Smart's ego handles that. There's a lot of factors. A lot more things that went into that just because you put Marcus Smart at the one, like... It was just the path to your finals, you know. You ran into a chemistry-less Brooklyn Nets squad, um, a Bucks team without Chris Middleton, which is a huge loss. And a and Heat team that was carried by Jimmy Butler, looks like. Carried, absolutely carried. I'm still baffled that you even got the first seed. But I do give credit to Boston, but got to improve. And I think there's going to be a little bit of a power struggle for the one position. We'll have to see. But if Marcus does take that bench role with Grace, him and Derek White are probably going to be the best um backup backcourt in the league and I, I don't even think it's a question I can see Marcus Smart running away with the sixth man of the year if he secures that bench spot oh yeah I mean, if you became the defensive player of the year this year and the next year you get the boot to the bench I can't see you not being in the sixth man of the year conversation and also still being in the defensive, the defensive player, player of the year player. conversation yeah boss but overall this was good move for boss and in Indiana the value on paper doesn't seem it doesn't seem the greatest to get you know, a backup center in Daniel Tice, a young, unproven player in Aaron Neesmith, and three players who are probably aren't going to see valuable playing time. But you do get a first-round pick for someone who wasn't in your future plans. He was very injured for the Indiana Pacers, and the Pacers, who are definitely in rebuild mode and are probably going to ship Miles Turner soon. Um, I think this is solid. They get, um, I think they get an expiring deal in Tice, and they get young players and a first-round pick. And they're just going to use that to build their roster. They're not going to be great this year at all. They're not probably not going to make the playoffs. But this is a step in the right direction for them. And I think um, I think this is a good move for both teams, honestly. I don't see any problems with any of them. Yeah, I think it was healthy because Mal- Malcolm Brogdon is also in the mindset that Murray was, where it's like, listen, I see this team going down and my play is plateauing. So obviously I want to try to hitch a ride on a contender because I know I can play for them. Pacers had a mutual interest in, you know, obviously a division. And the Pacers are obviously looking forward like the Spurs are. And they're both trying to pursue studs and upcoming drafts, uh, drafts like Victor Webinyama and all these other guys. So their eyes are four steps ahead. And it seems like the Celtics and the Hawks are thinking about more like now. Yeah. Yeah. These, um, yeah, Spurs and Pacers, very similar mindset. And yeah, they want to t- they want to win later, lose now. But Hawks and Celtics, they're they're in a contender mode. They want to get their team as better as good as possible. And I think both these both these teams made the right moves by trading for these backcourt guys. But of course, of course. the biggest trade that went down this week um, happened uh, in the in the Northwest Division, and that's a uh, Rudy Gobert, three time Defensive Player of the Year, getting traded to Minnesota for a. Uh, boatload of assets they got four players jared vanderbilt malik beasley patrick beverly and um there's someone else in the i forgot his name but i know there's a fourth player but then they also got four unprotected first and a top five protected first this is very hit or miss for minnesota because this could backfire them 
like greatly. I think this is going to backfire on them. Um, obviously, Rudy Gobert is obviously the interior force that he is, and he was obviously very disgruntled in Utah for not getting the touches that he deserves because at the end of the day, if you're seven one and have the frame like him, I should be getting the ball in the low post quite often. But um, obviously, Utah, you know, wanted to ship him and stuff like that, and they're also looking for the future, you know, trying to land like a Victor or something like that. Minnesota taking on his contract with the addition of giving a supermax to Car Anthony Towns is going to bankrupt them. Um, it's they're not going to have no wiggle room to sign anybody long term. And you know who else is up for a contract extension next year? Anthony Edwards. Exactly, and with Rudy Gobert's fatty two hundred mil contract plus Carl Anthony Towns lending a supermax, which I don't think he entirely deserves yet. He hasn't proven anything to me besides winning a three point contest, but. I think this was terrible on Minnesota's part. It's just a classic Minnesota decision. Just stupid. Plain old simple. You know, you've been hoodwinked, bean boozled, run amok, you know? Shout out to Stephen A. Yes, sir. But I, I think it was absolutely terrible, and Jazz is going to win this trade. I don't think Timberwolves are going to succeed in any manner. And um, I love it how they fell in love with Patrick Beverly and then proceeded to ship him out. I think he was good for their culture. With the addition of Patrick Beverly, you saw all these players getting a little nitty gritty, talking trash. Which I understand, you know, you're a young guy and you haven't proven anything yet. But I like that kind of basketball, getting into your opponent's head and stuff like that. But they proceeded to ship that that guy away, and these guys might become quiet again. And Rudy's not really much of a leader either. So you just added a two hundred million dollar guy who's going to get his blocks and double doubles, but they're going to be a first round exit at best. Yeah, this is I, I don't I hated the package that Minnesota gave up the. The first round picks obviously hurt because most of them are unprotected then. And unprotected first round picks hold a lot of value. I just didn't think Rudy is worth that much. But the players giving up in the deal also wasn't um I didn't like it either. I honestly instead of giving up Beverly and um, Malik Beasley, I would have tried to ship to uh, dump D'Angelo Russell's contract. I mean, I know that's um I know it's Carl Anthony Towns' boy and all that, but I just I just think it didn't make. I didn't think it made sense to keep Russell because Anthony Edwards isn't a great perimeter defender by any means, and D'Angelo Russell is not a good perimeter defender. I just think keeping Beverly as a starting point guard, he's not the scorer that Russell. He's not young either, but Beverly, hard nosed defender, as you said, very nitty gritty. He'll get up in people's grill, and he just likes to fire under everyone's ass. And I would have loved to for them to keep Malik Beasley for the bench also. He's one of the better scorer. So off the bench in the league. So if they would have tried, maybe they did try to jump to dump D'Angelo Russell and they couldn't. That's a whole nother issue. But if I was Minnesota, I would have definitely tried to dump uh, Russell and try to keep those two aforementioned players and maybe keep another first round pick while you're at it. Because right now you have a two, three, two, maybe three year window before these guys are getting older and you have to pay Anthony Edwards. And then you're going to be, you're really going to be in a bind with all these contracts. And meanwhile, Utah, they realize it's time to blow it up. Maybe they'll trade Donovan Mitchell soon. We have no idea yet. I know he wants out. But Utah got a boatload of first-round picks, some decent talent, and they probably won't make the playoffs this year, which is fine for them. They're going to get some lottery picks, and they're going to develop that young talent and wait for the future. And simple, yeah. Um. 
I, it would if Utah decides to trade Donovan and they acquire more picks and more you know cash compensations and players like that that they can either cash out or package elsewhere. They can easily become the next Thunder of, of the league, controlling drafts up up and coming and really securing the future of NBA talent. But obviously that's their decision now. But they offloaded that Rudy contract, and as of right now, as we speak on July, you know July second. The Jazz won this trade. Yeah, I think Minnesota, I mean, short term, I don't even know if they won in the short term because the West is just so competitive. I just, I don't know how this, I don't even know how they're going to play out together because floor spacing might not be that much of an issue because Cat, as we know, can shoot the three very well as he won the three-point contest. But I just think they're going to get run off the floor. Teams are going to beat them down the floor. They're going to have no transition defense. And their transition offense is going to be very very iffy too because Jaden McDaniels who's our starting three no I always I always loved him as a player but he's a natural power forward and you're moving up to small forward to guard the quicker guys and more athletic guys I just don't think it's going to end well and then you got two clunky seven footers um trying to run down the court and they're going to get beat by um the small ball guys sure they might dominate the boards but they're going to get run off the floor in transition and no, they're they're gonna definitely uh definitely dominate the interior. Um, obviously, if Cat's playing the four, there's a lot of fours in the league that are six 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 seven. Basically, small forwards are shooting guards' wings, if you will. And obviously, he's gonna play bully ball in those instances. But when he has to get back on defense, he's gonna have to get outrun, outgunned, and out hustled. And it's gonna be tough, you know. And if I'm any team going up against that Timberwolves squad that you just mentioned, I just shoot a lot of mid ranges cause a lot of fast break you know points and i'll be just fine yeah this is you know minnesota i i have a soft spot for minnesota carl towns one of my favorite players in the league shout out to st joe's metuchen but i i i kind of hated this move i'm not even gonna lie from minnesota i think they could just stay the course develop the young players i think they should have tried to unload D'Lo for a point guard. Maybe they, they should try to trade for DeJounte Murray. I know they were in the sweepstakes, but yeah, not a great move for Minnesota now. And congratulations, Utah. New head coach, Will Hardy. Y'all got a, y'all made a spectacular move for the future. It was a necessary move. Yeah, I'm going to bring you to one team that I'm really liking the look of if everything stays healthy and the chemistry is good. The other team in LA, the Clippers. I am loving what the Clippers are doing. I, I'm, I'm happy they got John Wall. I, John Wall is one of my was one of my favorite point guards in the league growing up, and it always it sucked the last few years because his career really took a downfall because of some horrible injuries. And it's just nice that he's going to be hopefully on a winning team. And I think John Wall still has some some gas left in the tank. I, he had a very solid season with Houston in 2020 before he missed the 2021 season. So I think he can really be a solid third option for the Clippers, barring uh, any injuries. And if Kawhi Leonard comes back healthy and top five player in the NBA, and if Paul George can continue what he was doing before his injury, I think the Clippers will be right back in that contender status. Oh, that team is beautiful. Um, I fell in love with John Wall many years ago, before even the Nike contract on the jersey when they were still rocking the D's. I went down to a trip for... Uh, athletic program for swimming on the way back up because we drove there i caught a washington wizards game where he dropped 40 and hit a buzzer beater and i was like that guy is talented i saw him do a 360 layup like that's his signature that's his move 
think this John Wall acquisition, especially for two years and $13 million, is an absolute steal. Um, he's a phenomenal perimeter defender. He's an awesome passer, which is not talked about enough. I think the thing about Paul George and Kawhi is if you find them in those spots, the team is going to be really dangerous. And they also filled out the roster with just proven guys, Norman Powell. You know, they signed Zubak to that big, big deal, and all he does he needs, needs to do is rebound. This team, through the positions of one to three, if those guys stay healthy, that's dangerous. And if I'm the Warriors, if I'm the Mavs, if I'm anybody in the West of this free agency, I'm going to be a little scared of the Clippers. That's a team I don't really want to encounter because they've proven themselves. They're all awesome athletes. They're all battle-tested. Tyron Lue is an extremely underrated coach. He's somewhat genius in this game. And with a squad like that, watch out, West. Listen, this is... In 2021, without Kawhi Leonard, this is a team that damn near made the NBA Finals. There were two wins away from knocking off the Phoenix Suns without Kawhi, with Paul George playing some of the best basketball since his um, number 24 days in Indiana. And, yes, sir. And now with John Wall, hopefully he can stay healthy, and Kawhi Leonard, watch out Western Conference, because the Clippers are going to be coming for that trophy the moment right now from not even on paper but just like how it works and the dynamic i think they're the best team in la oh i by far honestly i think i just think everything clicks in the, for the clippers the, the lakers talent talented players but they got their own interior problems the clippers are just a very well-run team shout out to tyron Lou and shout out to steve Ballmer. yeah what a what an acquisition now ben i gotta ask you a question though oh and i i think i know what it is what deal Oh, wait, no, wait, no, I know the question now you want me to ask. For New York Knicks fans, of course, right, Ben? Of course, of course. Is Jalen Brunson the worst move this offseason has seen yet? Um, I wouldn't say it's the worst. It's not, um, you know, I, when I looked at the deal, I saw four years, 110 mil, and I wanted to gouge my eyes out. I was like, why are we doing this? Jalen Brunson is not a top point guard, and he's getting damn near max money. But looking at the deal, it's updated four years, 104 mil. You know, it's it's not that much less, but it's a little less. And it's a front-loaded deal. He's making the most money in his first year. I think it's $28 million. So it's a team-friendly deal that goes down every year. And, go, and on the list of point guards, he is the 14th highest-paid point guard in the league. And, fr- and he's... um. He's behind guys like Mike Conley and Kyle Lowry and Russell Westbrook. And I think Brunson has the upside. He's a young player. He had a very solid season with Dallas. And when Luka was out, he played the best basketball of his career. He averaged, I think, 22 points in the postseason. And what's the and the best thing about Mr. Jalen Brunson is that he's a New York Knicks fan. He's um, He grew up around the team. His dad, who's a part of the Knicks staff, was on the 1999 Knicks team that was an eight seed that made it to the, a run to the NBA Finals. He, um, Jalen, as a kid, was on the court shooting hoops with the team, and he wanted to be in New York. And Leon Rose and the Leon Rose and the Bronson family are obviously really close. And this is going to be a little bit of a spicy take by me, but back in 2021, when the Knicks were the feel good story of the league, they were a four seed. And their point guard was Alfred Payton. 
Now, Alfred Payton, I hate, I hated Alfred Payton, especially in the postseason. The guy couldn't score for crap. But what he was and what I think hurt the Knicks last off, last season was Alfred Payton was a facilitator, not the top-tier facilitator that we know, but he, he was a pass-first guy. And I think that helped um, Julius Randle a lot because Julius Randle... He didn't have as much pressure to um, facilitate as he did this past season because Alfred Payton was the main facilitator. And that year, Randall had a very incredible season. He was the most improved player with 24, 10, and 6 splits on 41 from 3. So, And Kemba Walker and Alec Burks ran the point position miserably last year, which I think led to, which I think was a pretty significant underrated part of uh, Randall's um, downfall. Obviously, his attitude played a part, too, but I think point guard play was also an issue. So, I think with Brunson, he's still young. He's a he's a very solid facilitator. I think um, he can make Julius Randle better. And it depends if the team... And if the team can hit their ceiling, if, you know, Brunson improves a little bit, if Randle can get back to that MIP form, and if RJ Barrett can make that all-star step, the Knicks could be um, knocking on the door of... Um, Another surprise playoff appearance. I know it's a hot take for a lot of NBA fans, but it's possible. I don't bet on the team um, making significant noise if they um, get that far, but I think they could be a dark horse postseason team this year. Actually, yeah. I think the Brunson thing, just to prove it, like, you know, like I said prior, it, when you're playing on a team with Luka Doncic, you're not going to be looked at. Luka is. So you can perform and do certain things and whatnot. But you're in New York now, and all eyes are on you, and you're arguably the best star on the squad. You know, I heard Mitchell Robinson also got that big four-year $60 million deal. But besides the point, you're now the guy in New York. So if I'm a defensive, you know, minded coach and I'm going up against you in the garden or at my own home turf, you're the guy I'm looking at that's going to initiate offense and be responsible for the majority of the points. So I'm going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at you. you know, that's just how you got to win games. So we'll, we'll see. Um, just because you're a fan of obviously the organization doesn't mean, you know, whatever. But I really hope it does work out because like we've said prior, when New York is good, life is good. Yeah, I mean, as of right now, I think I think uh, Jalen Brunson's probably the best point guard this team has had, eh. probably since '06, uh, back when uh, Starburst, Stephon Marbury, is running the show. Yeah, and that's saying something too. Yeah, so. that is uh, a 16 years of faulty point guard play. So hopefully Brunson proves many of these Knicks fans wrong, and hopefully he can be that point guard the team has been looking for. And now I want to get into something else because this was just. This just struck me as very funny. So, as we know, Bradley Beal, one of the most loyal players in the NBA. You know, he's been, he was drafted by the Washington Wizards in 2012, and he's been on the team ever since. But now, I thought this season was a, a, a turning point for him because Washington, 12th seed in the East, once again a top 10 pick, and Beal had a, had a very underwhelming season. And I thought this would be the year he would be like, okay, Washington, I appreciate the 10 years you gave me. I love you guys, but I want out. I want a chance to win while I'm still in my prime. And he did say that. He said that I want to win. I want to put myself in the best position to win a championship. 
And yet he signs a five-year, $250 million extension, which baffles me. I did, I did not understand why he did that, honestly. Um, money, Benjamin. That's a lot of money. Um, it is a lot of money. The thing about Bradley Beal is I laugh, too, because I see all these viral videos of him getting in the digging deep in the butts of these um these young players saying oh you gotta guard me you gotta prove yourself all this stuff like that you know who cares about the money who cares about the stats mr beal clearly you do because you drop 30 lose games and collect a small fortune from the wizards franchise i love bradley beal i also saw him live and playing he's a phenomenal athlete i love his shot creation i love the way he just plays the game it's very flow oriented it's very smooth and very you know he's, he's styling and profiling but i think this deal is laughable too because if you want to win washington's the last place to go washington and sacramento that is no place to win those two and places. ironically those are the those are the two teams in the nba two of the bottom three teams in the nba that have the worst winning percentage i think in history yeah so um if you wanted to win i don't know why you signed this deal um, like I said in prior podcasts, there's always two things every NBA player wants or even players in general in sports, championships and money. Some get both, some get none, some get one or the other. And clearly Bradley Beal is collecting a small fortune because by the time his career is over, um, let's say he signs even more with the Wizards at the age of 34, which he'll be at, at the end of this deal, bar none, he doesn't get traded. He, his career earnings are going to be up there with some of the higher higher paying people because these are max contracts. And back to back these to are back. super these max are contracts. Money. It's not just a max. These are super max. These are, are big money contracts. So, you know, we might laugh at him for never getting the championship or even making it to the conference finals, but we ain't going to be laughing at his bank account. Yeah, he's he's going to be set for the future. His, his family's going to be set. He's going to have all this money. And even though there's not going to be a ring on that finger, he's setting his family up for success. And, um, Future fortune, which I respect. He's a family man. Yeah, and but one, next time, don't say you want to win if you're going to stay in Washington. Yeah, it's just... The irony is just... It's, it's funny, man. Now, one more thing I want to get into before um, we um, sign off here is... Um, I want to talk a little bit about Donovan Mitchell and where he may end up. Because he's obviously not content in Utah anymore. So, where do you think he could end up? There's... There, I know the Miami Heat is a very popular destination for him, but where do you think he ultimately ends up stay, ends up going, or if he stays in Utah? Um, I don't think they stay in Utah. I think they make the full push for the tank season, trying to acquire perennial stars like Victor and stuff like that. But I think I think Miami, the favorite, is the way to go. I think the connection to D Wade, um, the fact that they need that star at the one and two, and he's just that guy. Um, the culture, he's made it apparent. But I think New York is also a different candidate, too, because I can see him play the two in New York. Obviously, he's in New York, you know, has New York ties and things like that. But it's tough because if I'm Utah right now, I just had a huge win and huge haul pickup, um, you know, finessing Minnesota. So now I have to move accordingly with Donovan Mitchell because since I acquired all these players and all these picks, I can only assume if I trade Donovan, I'm going to be receiving somewhat of the same. And um, obviously, it's a win long term to receive all those picks and cheap players. But there's only 15 roster spots, and I got to start doing cuts and stuff like that. It's going to get pretty, pretty disgusting. But 
I think they ship him. I don't think he stays in Utah much longer, especially with all these guys getting these huge deals and, you know, big moves. And I think he's going to end up on Miami or New York. Yeah, I, I, I agree with both of those teams, honestly. Donovan, he's one of the best young stars in the league. Dude is just a phenomenal player. And Miami ties are there. Dwayne Wade, obviously. And in the, new, in the reports, it seems like Miami already has an offer cooked up for um, – from Mr. Mitchell, I think uh, I would think it goes along the lines of uh, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, a decent young player, and um, probably three or four first round picks. I think that's where their offer is. But I saw a report for whatever reason. I don't know what this front office is thinking right now. Apparently, they're hesitant on moving a significant number of their first round picks for Mitchell, which. You know, I maybe I I don't even know if I understand it. They're not the Knicks aren't in the position to contend right now like Miami is, but they do have eleven first round picks over the next seven years. And at some point, you got to realize, look, we've been one of the worst franchises since the turn of the millennium. We need to get a star who's gonna help us win now and later. And there's someone staring at you right on the market. Donovan Mitchell is a New Yorker. His best friends with um, one of your guards on the roster, Manuel, quickly. And he's going to obviously sell more tickets, even though MSG always sells out. And Donovan's just going to make the ceiling of your team so much higher. And I don't know why the office isn't, doesn't want to give up these first. But hopefully they change their mind because I think they can cook up a very solid offer for um, the Jazz. But another fun idea that I thought of recently is... Uh, Donovan Mitchell going to the Nets, but this is this is before Rudy Gobert got traded. That was it'd be a pretty fun, pretty fun uh thing if KD got swapped for Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, there'd be some picks and players involved in there, but that's just a that was just a fun idea I've thought of prior to yeah, the Rudy been, Gobert trade. It would definitely been interesting, but there's a lot this this offseason thus far. We're only a couple days in, and I've seen some crazy stuff. The fact that there's supermaxes left and right. Zach Levine picking up that insane deal of 215. Devin Booker collecting a small country's fortune, you know. And a lot of, you know, young role players moving on from their teams. Gary Payton, huge loss to the Warriors. But they yeah, shout to him getting that money. Dante DiVincenzo, which I think is probably one of the best steals of this entire. I've season. loved DiVincenzo. He's just he's always a struggle with injuries, but he's been a very good talent when he's on the court. But he is healthy, and the Warriors' office, when it comes to medical, is phenomenal. He's going to be great. He has a little less defense than Gary Payton, but that much more offensive capabilities. I think it's a phenomenal pickup. Kayvon Looney collecting a small back from them too, even though I think he's worth a little bit more. There's so many moves in this in this offseason, and. I, just, I can't wait to see until it's all over and to really see how teams play out. And, you know, it's going to be great. Yeah, I'm. the NBA season can't come soon enough. It's um, it's only been a few weeks since um, the Warriors hoisted up that um, that banner. But I miss basketball already. But the offseason is just another fun portion of it. And we got, I can't wait to see where these teams are come October. Of course. Yeah. All right. It's getting a little late. So... Got to sign off for now, but thanks everyone for tuning in to episode four of the Sports Inventory. Once again, I'm Ben Kuchipudi. Your boy, Ty. And we out. Peace out.